I have never laughed so much as I did in this interview. Caroline is unapologetic, fiercely independent and hilarious dry humoured, all rolled into one. I, much like many millions of others, find myself glued to IGTV, watching Caroline as she does her stuff. As a beauty addict, I will not buy anything unless it has her seal of approval. But how does a beauty counter girl become the beauty industry's most powerful woman at 50? Caroline is a testament to the importance of staying true to yourself and the power of being utterly individual. It's this very trait that has won Caroline a legion of loyal fans. Warning, don't listen to this podcast with any little ears around. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table, and since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Caroline. It is so wonderful to meet you. And it's a shame it's not face to face. We've had a good chin wag before recording this and um, said a few things that potentially we won't keep in the podcast. Where are you right now as we record? I'm in my bedroom with headphones in, having told the entire family to leave me alone for an hour. We'll We'll see whether that comes to fruition. Exactly. Yes. Will they behave? Um, It's a moment right now where we're recording this remotely because we're in our 11th week of lockdown here in the UK. Um, How's this time been for you? It's actually been quite nice. I mean, the the struggle has been obviously not having the team in the office. I didn't furlough anyone. All of my team are working from home. But actually, what's been nice is just actually being at home, you know, and um, proving that my husband and I cannot kill each other living together 24-7 after 30 years. Well, I'd love to start with your story because you were born in Liverpool. What was early life like growing up? Was it a happy childhood? Yes, we, um, I mean, my early memories of Liverpool, there aren't that many of them. I remember my grandmother taking me to mass on Sunday. She'd come and pick me up, take me to mass. And then the bribery was I'd get sweets and go to the park afterwards. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, it didn't occur to me then why my mum never came with us. Like my nan would just pick us up and take, take, take me. And then we moved to America when I was four. So my actual childhood memories are all in Mississippi. And we moved back when I was 10. I think I had my 11th birthday in Warrington in Cheshire. So we moved back to England when I was 10. And did you go to international school or was it? Oh, God, no. No. No, 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 no. no. I went to a uh, private school in Mississippi because obviously in the 70s, if you were a white child, you did not go to the state school. So my grandfather paid, I think, for my first. Um, in fact, you know, I'm not even sure if you paid. I think it was just you had to go to the Baptist church. But, you know, it, it was kind of oblivious to me. I just knew that there was maybe one black person in my school. You know, Mississippi, if you take away the horrors of the racism mm-hmm. as a as a state in the 70s, it was beautiful. It was very green. You know, it's almost tropical, the heat. I mean, I was barefoot for six years, except for in school. Um 
And then in the winters, you get all of the snowstorms and everything from up north. So we would have ice storms and everything. So it was a fantastic time of opportunity. But the ridiculous part of it was it was Clarksdale, which is the home of the blues. So it now has a blues museum. Um, you know, it's 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 the the epitome of, you know, where soul and blues were founded. And so, I mean, I was lucky in that my mother, I never heard the N-word in the house. We were very English, you know. Um, she was restaurant, she was in restaurant management for most of the time that we were there. And all of the waiting staff were black and all of the kitchen staff were black, but the hostess was white. And I remember asking, I was like, why is, where, you know, it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't even mm. know how to verbalize it, but it didn't make sense. But I suppose the nice part of looking back in it is there was a great respect between my mum and the team because she was, I mean, maybe it was because she was English. I don't know, Holly, but she was very, mm. very respectful. They would call her Miss Kathy which is just very traditional in the South. And she took a while for her to get used to it. She was like, no, I'm just Kathy. You don't have to call me Miss Kathy. And they said, no, no, we do. It's respect. My mother would kill me if we didn't call you Miss Kathy, you know? And so, but then she in turn would call them Miss or Mr. And that right. was, that was sort of, you know, she would never, I just remember thinking how amazing it is. As I got older, I had all of my memories were of positive reinforcement of those relationships. Mm. And then we moved back to England because my grandmother wasn't well. She had multiple sclerosis. And for a while we thought that was a brain tumor. So my mum was just like, well, I'm going home, you know, which is interesting because both of my parents considered the UK home, even though we were, we had a very, very definite life. I mean, we were there for life. So I don't know what right. would happen had she not got sick. But yeah, we came back. And when you came back, what was, um, I, I had a spell of living in Holland and I came back to the UK um, after seven years and I was reintroduced to British schooling. Um, what was early school like for you when you came back to the UK? And it, is that it. where you, you hated it. <laughs> hated I was going to say, is that where you found your passion? Because it wasn't education. Pretty, pretty much hated it. Um, well, obviously I spoke Asper at out like that. So, and then we moved to Liverpool where we were from. So I was a southerner with the southern accent, as in US southern accent, in Liverpool, where everyone would go, you sound dead funny. Where are you from? And, you know, so I kind of, and we, we left this beautiful house because my parents, I get the work ethic from both of my parents. We left this beautiful house, nothing flash. I mean, now it would probably be considered like a three, you know, it's all the houses in Mississippi, unless you're a millionaire, are all bungalows because of tornadoes. So we we were in a sort of nice big sort of flat bungalow. Um, we had two cars, you know, it was a boom time. It was the seventies. They both worked. We had a housekeeper who was white, but that was the norm. You know, it wasn't that she was, she wasn't wealthy. We weren't wealthy. It was just, it was a service that they provided. You know, I adored her. She was like my grandmother that was absent. And so when we came back to Liverpool, we moved in with my paternal grandparents. I had a box room. I mean, it was great being around family but I had no space. It wasn't green. I couldn't ride a bike anywhere because I didn't own a bike. You know, it was that kind of, and then of course the kids, you know, kids can be, especially that age group, like late primary mm. school, early secondary school, when the hormones are thriving and about to become periods. Um, but yeah, I hated it, hated it. And then we moved to Warrington in, in the house that my mum is still in, you know, that house is very much for me. That's home. My best friend still lives across the road from my mum because she moved into the same street that her mum lived in. So I made friends for life, but only because of the street we lived in, not because of school. I don't speak to anyone from my school years. Hated all of them. 
And when you and when you move back, you move back to your um for due to your grandmother, and she, well, she's made quite an impact on you yourself, but also from you as a young age because she was a makeup counter girl for brands like Coty and Guerlain. Yeah. Um, and I saw um, some wonderful photos of her online from 1960s, and yeah. she looks so glamorous. And your mother yeah. also obviously followed in her footsteps. What were those? early memories like when you were surrounded by sort of glamour and makeup and maybe did that is that what made the impression on you I mean my main impression is that they always were put together and always smelt amazing Uh, one of my friends said to me uh, when I was talking about you know uh, last week how I haven't I've enjoyed not wearing makeup for three four months Uh, and she said oh god I I, I'm enjoying not wearing perfume and I said I spray like five perfumes on myself a day I have to have my smell. If I haven't sprayed myself, I don't feel like I am myself. And that comes from my mum and my grandmother. They were My grandmother was a fragrance specialist. She was one of the first trains. She went to Paris to train with Guerlain. So she wow. she did all the makeup and she did Coty and she taught us how to look after her skin. But then she was working for Guerlain when she got sick, actually. And so then mum was working for, when we came back from the States, mum worked for Rubenstein. And so I, I kind of appreciated it, but it was just how it was. Like I grew up surrounded by it so I I didn't really know what I wanted to do weirdly when I was younger I wanted to be a teacher which kind of in a way I like to think I've kind of become a very slither yeah, of a slither of <laughs> but I don't have to put up teenagers swearing at me just my own um and then <laughs> then I wanted to be a midwife and then I had a kid and thought no I said that <laughs> I'll I'll just be there when one of my kids have a baby I don't want to be a midwife I can't do that um, and I kind of fell into it. I fell into it because I had done retail and shop work. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do retail and shop work, why not combine the two? Why don't we give this beauty thing a go? And that's how it started. Uh, it's it's fascinating because I um, I also read that you had this sort of moment where your mum took you to Liverpool to see your um, nana and have lunch and all the counter girls made a complete fuss of you. And you recall how glamorous they were. Yeah. And how much they, you know, how well they smelt and all this sort of thing. So it, it really does show you. I always talk about those moments where you can't look at it at the time, but retrospectively, no. if you look back, you can just see those moments, can't you, that just yeah. start to mould something inside. Now, you might not yeah. get to it. Well, we're going to talk about you didn't yeah. get to it till much later on in life, but yeah. it's just those little seeds. Completely. And, you know, they, like I say, everything smelt really good. You know, my mum my and grandmother's hair was always done. When my grandmother was in a home for the last sort of, oh, I kind of blocked it out because it was too traumatic. But a good, I think it was a good 10 years she was in a home, maybe more. But even in the, in the home, she would go, she couldn't barely, she could barely see it. She was registered blind for the last few years and you'd have to get right in front of her eyes and then her face would light up and she'd go, hello, oh. pet, hello, pet. But she couldn't, and then when she couldn't speak that much, she would feel for her chin and do this pet, this, and we'd have to pluck her chin because she knew she had a beard. <laughs> She would be like this pet, look. And my mum would, I would do her nails. Mum would pluck her chin. But, you know, we would still get her hair done. And then when we went to see her in the, in the um, what are they called? Where the coffin is? My God, help me. Funeral home. Oh, funeral home, I'm yes. Totally yes. traumatised still. Mum and I still can't talk about it. But we went in and they said, okay, just to give you, you know, just to be aware that the coffin is open as requested. Because I wanted to see her. You know, she was such a pivotal mm. part of my life. I had to see her. I have an only daughter. I have three sons, but I also have one daughter. I am the only daughter who has an only daughter of an only daughter. So it's my Nana, my mum, me and Ava, four of us. It was almost like we were joking, say, why did they bother cutting the cord? They just could have kept it running all through the four of us, you know. 
<laughs> so we went, we went and we saw the coffin and it was open. And it was, it's like, you have that moment. I've seen, I'd seen my great grandmother, also my Nana's mother. We were very like that in her coffin and it was a jolt. So I saw her and that was kind of like the realization of like, wow, this woman's really gone. But what snapped me out of the moment of the absolute horror, you know, I think I would have collapsed otherwise, is that they had, the undertakers, God help them, had put a white Max Factor powder on her face and a coral crystallized lipstick on her gob. I mean, it was the complete, my grandmother was a red lip woman, right? And the worst part is, Holly, it was on the side and it was old and mingy, like they'd used it on every dead woman that had been in there. (laughs) So I went, I honestly, you know, you think this could only happen in a sketch, like a Scouse family, a Scouse Catholic family. This could only happen in a sketch. And I went, mum, give me tissue, give me tissue. And she went, what the, and mother never swears. She's the, like, mother's like Joan Collins. She never swears. She went, what the hell is that on my mother's face? I went, give me a tissue quick. So I literally spat on the tissue, wiped the lipstick off and said, mum, give me a lipstick. You always have lipstick. Give me something. Give me that. And it was long come number 47, which is also a bit coral. So I get it, but it was a much softer color. I said, that'll do. Give it to me. I'm not going to put it direct on it. I'm going to put it on my finger and we'll do it. And then we did it. And then the undertaker comes in with two cups of tea. Mother's just standing there with tears down her face and sees me spit polishing my dead grandmother's face. And that kind of tells you what you need to know about us as a family of women. Uh, it it does it does not only is it sort of I don't know whether I should laugh or be respectful but it's so it goes back to because one of my missions in life is and why I started this podcast is really also to help people find their diamonds you know their passion in life that Mm. that sort of business inside of them that they don't quite understand what it is and one of the questions I always get asked is you know what should I do I want to start a business and what should I do and actually just your story and what we're talking about which really makes you realize always just go back right to the roots all your experiences and there is some sort of golden thread I believe in all of us um but anyway back to your story at (laughs) 17 you moved away from Liverpool to London and you worked in HMV in its heyday I can I, I remember I remember spending time in there you know flicking through the albums flicking through the CDs 12 inches Holly 12 inches (laughs) <laughs> I was the 12-inch section for a while. Oh, it was the it, best job for someone my age. It must have been so much fun. Well, it, like you say, it was the heyday. So, And it was the bang, It was the big one that's now like a JD Sports or some horror. Um, but it was the big one in Oxford Circus, not the original 363 Oxford Street where the Beatles did their last gig on top. It was um, the big, huge one in Oxford Circus. And, you know, we served everyone because this was way before the internet, way before the internet, you know, we went to gigs every night because we were the only musical outlet. So we would get tickets to all the gigs. I mean, there was a good six month period where I fed myself at after show parties. You know, it was that kind of, we had Prince, Michael Jackson. I was in the Daily Mail because Bross came in and did a PA and their fans destroyed the store because the store wouldn't listen to the younger people who worked there like me going, they're going to destroy the store. And I'm, I'm pictured sitting on top of a CD rack in a, I think it was like a, it would have been like a rock band t-shirt, probably a Bon Jovi t-shirt or something at the time in 87, surrounded by, it was like Beatlemania. I mean, it shut down Oxford Street. But, you know, those oh kind of, it was so much fun. It was yeah. just so much fun. We'd get into work. They had a DJ who played in the centre of the store. So you could open the door and go, turn that shit off, play something I like, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was just one of the best jobs I've ever had. I I really remember it, and it was it was just the, the experience. You know, people would go there for hours on hours. End. You know, that hours. Was, that's what that's what you used to do. Yeah, we would we would spend all our lunch hour on the shop floor shopping. You know, I mean, passionate. You see, that's 
that's just oh gosh it was so so clever you then started working on the evade account in harvey nichols and again another incredibly exciting job because i can only imagine how glamorous that must have been as a young woman and i used to go there with my mum on weekends and it was like heaven and the makeup counters and it it's what absolutely fabulous endorsed as the coolest department store in london yeah that must have been a real experience for you and sort of the beginning of that journey. It was. I mean, I had done, there was a big gap between HMV and Aveda. I mean, there was a good nine, 10 years where I had done office work. I'd been a PA. I met my husband. Uh, we had two children. And so it was only when, um, as the boys got a bit older and we knew they were going to be starting school, I said, well, I could get a weekend job now. And I did. I started on the Aveda counter as a Saturday, Sunday girl. And that was it. On my second day, I thought, oh, I really like this. You obviously were a brilliant saleswoman. I read that one Saturday alone on the counter, you took more money than the whole team usually did. Well, that was, that was the second day. So on, I started on a Saturday and then on the second day... There's, well, they no... must have loved you. <laughs> was there a sales technique that you um, developed? Did you find it just natural? Completely natural. And I followed my mum's lead, which was just to start a conversation. I never made assumptions about people, which stood me in good stead in Harvey Nichols, you know, because you could be serving someone who looked, I mean, in those days, especially, especially in the summer when it was uh, in between Ramadan and the hottest period of the year in the Middle East, uh, all of the Middle Eastern customers would flock to London for two, three months. And that's when most of the counters, people like Chanel, would just make their entire target in those first two, three weeks. And so it was having that awareness that, you know, I didn't treat people differently based on how they looked which was something I definitely learned from mum, watching her work. Um, I started a conversation and complimented people. And, you know, the worst thing you can say is, do you need any help? Because it's mm. a closed-ended question and everyone's going to say, no, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. You know, whereas I would just walk past someone and go, and it would be genuine. I wouldn't speak for the sake of it. I would just go, oh my God, I love that handbag and just walk past them, you know. And then if, because I hadn't approached them, if they wanted help, they would come and seek me out. And so it was much more around that way of doing things than the traditional, you know, I hated sales training. God, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so contrived. You know, who, where, what, who, where, when, why, what, you know, ask open-ended questions, blah, blah, blah. And I'd just be like, just talk to someone, tell you like a shoes and you're in. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so, it's so fascinating. Like yeah, well, exactly. But you know, that's exactly the point, isn't it? And I sort of, call it the A word because it feels like a C word, um, this authenticity and, you know, everyone sort of talking and marketing teams about authenticity and millennial customers love, you know, authenticity and being real. And you're like, actually, it's just universal. It's human. It's being honest and open. It's not bullshitting. And, you know, and yeah, and, and that's basically what you have harnessed a long before any little whippersnapper marketing team did. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that, that now, of course, they want me to be authentic up until a certain point <laughs> and then they oh, want yeah. me to toe the line. So when yes. you won't toe the line, it's very, oh, this is very odd. Why can't we control this woman who hasn't worked for us ever and doesn't work for us and is a complete independent person? So that's been an interesting one as well. So that's kind Ooh. of, and especially in light of the current trend, as it were, of, uh, I, I say trend in the term of beauty business, putting black squares up on their grid. Uh, but in terms of the current crisis, it's quite interesting to see brands speaking up. And I just think that's going to be lip service because I know how you operate. 
to win a one-to-one 90-minute mentoring session with me? Well, thanks to NatWest, you can. All you need to do is sign up to the NatWest Business Builder using our code to be in with a chance. The Business Builder is an entirely free e-learning site packed full of information and advice, covering everything from well-being to finance. Head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker to find out all the details. Now, as you know, each week we run a competition with NatWest who, in a world first, give away their ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your brilliant businesses to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest independent ad break winner. When COVID-19 closed Richmond Cake School and put any face-to-face masterclasses on hold, I knew I had to come up with a way of adapting so that I could still share my love of sugar craft and my belief that anyone can create gorgeous cakes. That's why I created Richmond Cake School at Home. Two kits containing all the equipment you need, together with worksheets and access to online tutorials to enable you to become a master of buttercream or a master of fondant cakes all beautifully packaged and available for nationwide delivery. I've even added an option for you to receive a pre-baked cake so that you can get creating as soon as you open your box. I am loving being able to inspire you to get creative, albeit virtually for the time being. More details can be found on my website, www.richmondcakeschool.co.uk and you can also follow me on Instagram at richmondcakeschool where I share daily cake inspiration, recipes and cake decorating tutorials. Happy baking! If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, we've created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. But it was when you turned 40 um, that your life really took a new direction. You started this blog. And it would just be lovely to hear this story because this is where it all began. Yeah, I think, well, I think that's where my online life began. Okay. But I I like it when people who win like Newcomer of the Year at the Grammys. I remember when an artist called Shelby Lynn won and she was in her 40s and she said, this newcomer has been around for 25 years. Thank you for acknowledging me. You know, so I think the the blog was where it people began to sort of I gained more recognition, but the blog was really just the dumping ground, as it were, in the beginning of yeah. my brain and what I knew from the industry and putting sort of all of the trainings I'd done before that, hundreds of trainings with brands onto paper. Well, actually, it wasn't onto paper, was it? it was online, but you know, I'm very yeah. old school, Holly. But you got a quite a devoted audience, didn't you? Within six months, I mean, it's yeah. quite unbelievable I think there was a it was a perfect storm it was a mixture of things blogging was still Mm -hmm. quite new there's a couple of people around who've been doing it longer than me they were doing it like a year or two before me but more like an online diary at the time and Mm -hmm. the people that like Jane Cunningham is British beauty blogger she's still there she was there before me um but I think it was a difference in that I was mainly focusing on teaching people about skincare most bloggers were talking about makeup especially things like lips and eyeshadow uh nars and nails nails were huge when i started blogging and i couldn't think of anything more boring uh, and you know and that's not to dismiss it i love my manicurist but just do it for me and let me get on with my day please i just it wasn't for me you know i've always been the skincare freak and that's mm-hmm. how 
it started. And I think it was, like I say, it was a perfect storm of I was a bit older. I was qualified. I worked in the industry and I had the confidence of a 40-year-old, which now is the confidence of a 50-year-old. But at the time, that didn't really exist. It just didn't exist. And it's to, to be fair, in some ways, it still doesn't. Most of the people who no. talk about skin are in their 20s or 30s or even younger, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And you also speak about the um, hating terms such as anti-aging or miracle cures, which is Mm. still so refreshing to hear. You know, actually, the point is, isn't it, that aging is a privilege uh, denied to so many. Um, And there's so much pressure on women to look perfect. I certainly have found this in my life, uh, certainly as a business owner, uh, a woman that basically ended up wearing double spanks and running a board of men and you know because um you know this is the picture we'd like of business women yeah going back to you but with the skincare makeup side of things you started the youtube channel filming um elements of your daily life with these informative skincare tutorials and uh reviews and your videos have now been watched with over 13 million times is that right? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't look. It's not a lot on YouTube terms. It's really not a lot. The blog is the behemoth. The blog is my Death Star home planet. Uh, <laughs> Death Star depending on the day, home planet depending on my mood. Um, but, you know, YouTube I kind of did because it was it was more expected. And I, yep. I, I have kind of fallen out of love with it a bit and what it's become. Well, you might have fallen out of love with it, but actually I read um, an interesting article that said by year 2021, 80% of the world's internet traffic will be video. Um, And so actually, and I think, you know, for people listening, this is something that actually people will have to embrace. And so many people, you've embraced it and been doing it for a long time, but a lot of people listening, it's that courage to do this. You know, you can't hide a blog in a way you can be who you want to be, look how you want to look and you tap away. Whereas video is just this very vulnerable position. Can you just talk to me about that? Because not only must it be an incredibly powerful sales force and platform, but did you have to coach yourself to being able to do it, you know, to take that transition from being behind the screen to on the screen? Yeah, I hated it. (laughs) And still, I mean, I get, I'm more comfortable with it now because I know kind of, uh, I think again, the confidence of age, like I don't particularly care how I look. (laughs) I I kind of throw on a clean t-shirt to film you know, I really make an effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I hated it at the beginning. I hated watching myself back, which you have to do on YouTube because you have to edit. I hated all of it. I hated waiting for people to tear me apart about how I looked, blah, blah, blah. And now it's kind of just like, uh, I kind of think if that's the most interesting thing you can say about me, then that's, that's kind of on you. I don't care, you know? So, it, but it is interesting because obviously I got Invisalign, got my teeth fixed. I was going to get my eye surgery anyway because I have really bad overhanging eyelids. And so I got them done and now they need doing again because my tear ducts keep popping. I have a prolapse in my tear ducts. Um, but you're kind of aware of it. You know, you're like, wow, you could look a bit fresher. Not completely mm-hmm. change how you look, mm-hmm. but, you know, I would mm-hmm. I would look, watch myself on camera and go, that's not how you look, is it? And then I'd be like, oh, God, it is. Sort yourself out. But not like in a horrible self-hating way, just in a, okay, make a bit of an effort, Hirons. Come on, if people are going to sit down to watch you, at least make an effort. Is, you know? and, and, do you think, and do you think that um, I've started, you know, touching on doing through COVID 
within 48 hours, I launched something called SME SOS. And it was the first time ever that I did lives on Instagram. And I put myself forward to doing a bulletin each day um, of COVID to try and demystify the news and help small businesses and help us all really navigate all this information coming through. And God, you know, it was a real moment for me because people might think that I'm very confident and I, I am confident, but there is something about then watching yourself or, you know, being completely critical with the worst to ourselves. But potentially I know I would have felt it far worse if I was 30 and I'm 43. So I do think with age, there is this thing, isn't there, for younger people listening who are going to have to embrace this video side of things. It's actually what would your older self say about this and yes, making an effort, but it's about what you're saying um, rather than the perfectionism that we all, as business folk anyway, have. We want our yeah. businesses to be perfect. And then we think we now, because we're going to be on video, need to be perfect. So no, did, you, did you <laughs> did you have any sort of journey or were you just you right at the beginning? Or were uh, you a bit more intimidated at the beginning I was of definitely it? intimidated. I was definitely intimidated because obviously when you're writing on a blog, when people know your tone of voice like I used to be far more self-deprecating than I'm now. Like I don't put myself down, but I will say the odd thing like, you know, I'm a menopausal woman. I could kill you and get away with it. I'm on hormones, but I don't necessarily put myself down. If I talk about things that I, about myself that have changed, it's just factual. You know, my eyelids are a bit baggy. I have a bit of scarring I could fix. It's not like, oh, my eyelids are so baggy. It's not like, I don't do that anymore. But of course, in the early days, I mean, we all did, especially 10 years ago. You know, I think social media has helped in that respect. Yes. But what happened with YouTube was it brought in a lot of Americans who the sense of humour is completely different and they took everything I said verbatim and thought I was really slagging myself off. And they'd say, oh, honey, don't be so hard on yourself. And I'd think, what did I say? And so that still happens occasionally. But the the, the, the transition to Instagram Live, which has just been phenomenal for me in terms of being able to talk to everyone, is that it's immediate, it's live. If you mess up, you mess up. Um, I'm much better live than I am doing recorded. Um, Mm -hmm. And then... What happened was I started it the first week and I thought, I thought oh, I'll make an effort. I, w- I was wearing like nice sweatshirts. I would put a bit of like tinted moisturizer on. And then I caught a sight of myself yesterday and one from like two weeks ago. And I literally did it in my kitchen apron. And now they're all done. Either like, sitting where I am now in my bedroom in the window, hair in a bun, not a scrap of makeup, no lashes, like nothing. My hair is gray. But who knows what color my hair is now in a band T-shirt. And they're the ones that have had the best response because I look like the people who are watching at home. You know, I always joke to my mother that I am the perpetual failure. You know, she's just, she, I had to film something for TV earlier this week. And uh, she said, what are you going to do about your hair and makeup? I said, I'll just look like I look, mum. I'll put a bit of tinted moisturiser on, a bit of mascara, put my hair in a bun and we'll go for it. She went, well, you have to have a blow dry and get your roots done. I said, mother, we're in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) I'm going to look like everyone else at home. If I suddenly get my roots done, people are going to be saying, she's obviously broken curfew. She's obviously been seeing her hairdresser. So, you know, it's that kind of... I, I, I respect it. And I, if people want to get up and do their hair and makeup, I respect the hustle, but it's just, I'm just too knackered. Um, but also you have built a phenomenal loyal community. You yeah. now have over 410,000 followers on Instagram. You have 120 million views on your blog. You, Like I said, you had 30 million views on YouTube. And it's basically meant that you've been dubbed the most powerful woman in the beauty industry. Uh-huh. Uh, so, much, so much so that you have the Caroline um, effect, a bit like the Oprah 
Oprah effect and have the power to really make or break a skincare product. Um, I loved reading in 2013, Clinique's Take the Day Off Cleansing Balm Makeup Remover, which was about to be discontinued because of crap sales. You listed it on your blog's Hall of Fame. And overnight, demand rocketed a whopping 100, well, sorry, not 100, 1,432%. And today, it's one of Clinique's bestsellers. Now, when you look at that Harvey Nicks girl that you were, and you now look at basically changing the behavior of an entire nation shopping for skincare. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah, but I, again, I'd never think of it like that. I am aware of the power of the blog, but I put the power very much in the hands of the readers. I don't. I try not to make it about me when I talk about you. the blog. I almost do it in the third person as the person who just runs this blog. Um, and I, I know if I think about it, it's my voice, but it's the readers that trust me who actually go out and make the purchases. So it's mm-hmm. it's important to kind of bear that in mind and not let, allow yourself to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so important. Because, well, I mean, for starters, my readers would be the first in line, but my kids would also throat punch me, you know. <laughs> but what's wrong with you, woman? My husband would be the first to go, all right, chill yourself. You know, when I, I was in that, that, when that mail ran that article and inside it said the most powerful woman in beauty and then the Times did it the week after and said how Caroline Hirons became the most powerful woman in beauty. My husband said, Jesus Christ, we're never going to fit our head through the door. You know, they, <laughs> they, they just don't care. You know, they just don't care. So that always helps. You know, there are, yes. No, yes, there are no yes people around me. There yeah. are no, I surround myself with people who will have absolutely no problem saying you utter dick. That's my type of tribe as well. Yeah. You need people who are just could swear in your face and tell you, yeah, as you said, you're a dick. I love yeah. those people. And that's why I could, that's why I never settled in the corporate world. Yeah. I can't Potent- go the line. Yeah. I can't sit yeah. quietly. Tell me, <laughs> um, so you had, you know, the Zoellas and the Tanya Burrs and the Pixie Woos and, and all of these people. And that was almost coming out in 2010. And I'm talking to you in 2020. That's right, Holly, the wonderful year of 2020 it is. It's been amazing, um, hasn't it? Isn't it? Um, where do you think the future is going to go? Like, do you think we're going to go back to slight basics? What What do you think? Do you think the authenticity of video is here to stay? Um, it would be fascinating what your sort of viewpoint is. I actually, I genuinely, I don't know. And that comes from the place of never really planning anything. I, I, I plan very little outside of children. You know, like I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to do it this month. I want to have a kid that's two and a half years apart. Like that's that part of me is sadistic. But when it comes to sort of everything else, I'm quite easy to go with the flow. The, I think the problem with YouTube is they are now corporate. There's no two ways about it. They are embedded to their advertisers. They've just lost Joe Rogan to Spotify, which no matter what they say is a huge loss for YouTube. You know, to be poached by Spotify, which isn't even a video platform. They're no. going to make a video platform for him and his podcast for $100 million dollars. And two things happened. They let him go and he left, you know, and he, I think he obviously felt the, the implications of, you know, topics he wanted to cover, the swearing. I mean, I'm sure there comes a point where they were demonetizing things. And you just think if that's where they're at, which corporate America always comes down to toe the line, be Christian, be white, don't upset people at home who live in the middle, in the middle States. And Joe Rogan was like, fuck you, I'm going to Spotify. 
And that is a huge loss for YouTube. They have major issues. And I always find that it's the, uh, I get, I have a better audience now, but there are, there's a lot of ignorance on YouTube in terms of comments and not even so much trolls, just like people who are bored and are just on YouTube browsing and take time out of their day to tell you your video is shit, you know? Yeah. And I'm and I'm also too old for that. Like, I don't care. And you mm. can control it. You can have words in your comments that you can block so you never even see them. But it's kind of like a – it's interesting because there is an older audience there because I definitely get people going – oh, finally, someone who's my age, finally, someone who's talking about menopause. You know, there's only about five five of us who've even mentioned the word menopause on YouTube. And yet YouTube's been around for so long. What yes. does that say, you know? Um, so yeah, I think like it will all, that's the way it goes. Everything becomes huge, then it gets eaten by corporate. Then something else pops up that's innovative, like Instagram was innovative. Facebook yes. was them. Now it's Facebook, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, now they control how you sell. You know, you used to be able to, like if you were doing an affiliate link, you could swipe up and you can say swipe up and you link out to an affiliate link. And, you know, the way affiliates work is, I mean, I don't do them that often, but when I do, they're really effective, especially if I've said, go buy this. That's why it always has to be a very genuine go buy this. But if you're going to make money on 28 days worth of whatever that person buys from that place, wherever there was a, and then Instagram changed it so that when you swipe up, if that person doesn't purchase within five minutes, now who purchases within five minutes, the affiliate link is killed. So they want people on the platform, but they're trying to monetize it for them. And that's when people go away and they make a new platform. And that's why TikTok is so huge. You know, it'll be interesting to see who buys TikTok. It won't stay the way it is. And that's just what happens. And I think that's why most people end up just utilizing bits of them like I have. You know, I do YouTube, but I haven't done a proper YouTube video since I released the kit because I'm not in my office. I'm at home. Uh, I do my my Instagram live that immediately converts to an IGTV and then I upload the IGTV to YouTube as a video just to keep that part happy. It's almost like ticking along. Mm-hmm. So I think if you 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 would be foolish in the era of social media to put all your eggs in one basket. And you then know. do you then have what you, in your mind, do you then have a hub of where you say, this is mine? Blog. So would you then say your site and your blog yeah. is like, so you almost go, I'll go out and I will court these other things, but yeah. I know at some point in time it's going to change, yeah. but this is what I control. Everything comes back to the blog. Right. And I think that's such an interesting thing because I think people can be um, led to believe that actually it's all about having just a YouTube channel or it's, you know what I mean? And actually the thing is, is keep building something that no one can take away. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think the the fact that myself and again, like I say, with Jane, with British beauty blogger, Hayley, who was London beauty queen, who's now changed to her name. I think the difference is we all still have a blog. I think keeping the blog and making sure that all the content was there. I mean, I don't think the book would have happened if I hadn't have had a blog. If I had just done a blog and then joined YouTube, I would be a YouTuber who talks about skincare. Whereas the blog has so much written content on it and it's still used as a reference for people that it's, you know, I think making it more of a reference source than just the latest new release early on is what the turning point was because some of my oldest posts I have to redo every year because they're still some of the most popular. Are you listening to this incredible journey thinking, I wish I could do that, but don't quite know where to start? Then I wrote a book for you. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is the ultimate small business Bible, providing you with the guidance, support and insights I wish I'd had 20 years ago at the start of building my business journey with Not On The High Street. 
Think of me as your virtual mentor, guiding you along your journey as if I was sitting right next to you, holding your hand, recounting my own fears and failures, lessons to help you succeed on your path. Short bite-sized micro chapters filled with colour, creativity, oh, and its own product range. It really is a business book like no other. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is out now. Head to holly.co slash book to buy your signed copy today. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. Now, we're recording this now. Your book is not out yet. No. End of June. And it's, it's called... of April and obviously we had to put it back. Yes. And it's called Skincare. It is called Skincare. Why Why mess with it? Why have some funky title? It is what it is. I mean, it's just, yeah, well, it's gone. Yeah. Tell me. The reason my readers wanted the book, you know, I never wanted to write a book. I never wanted to be an author. I don't sort of think, oh my God, I'm an Amazon bestseller. It's just not in my vocabulary. It's just something I did as a byproduct of having the blog. And I know that drives the publishers crazy. And I don't mean it in that way at all. It's a fantastic opportunity. I get that. But it was, I, I, I you know, my readers were just, well, my mum's not online. My sister doesn't read blogs. I want something I can show them because I just go to your blog and then I screen grab it and send it to them or I print it off for them. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something in that. So I went to the blog. I looked at my most popular posts, took out the ones that legal wouldn't pass. <laughs> uh, Was there a couple? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then did uh, uh, the cheat sheets, which is sort of the skeleton of the blog, downloaded the cheat sheets, downloaded the beauty myths, downloaded the best. And then I had to go in and rewrite them all. If only it was that simple as downloading them and sending them off to be published. Then you have to go in and rewrite them all because if they're eight years old, the product needs updating. So, you know, it meant I rewrote the biggest content of the blog, then did that and then found where the gaps were, which was interesting. So found where the gaps were and did far, spent far more attention on things like going into a deep dive about things like retinols or retinoids, as we should say. Um, the glossary was fun to write because I basically just got to sort of, instead of it being, you know, for example, X product, they sell here and they are this, I would put X product. They don't like me because I wrote them a bad review and they left it in, which I think is amazing. I was like, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so that part of it was fine. The fact that they let me pretty much do what I wanted was was great. And I, you know, I'm sure I'll be very proud when I see it on a shelf, but it's not, it's, but it's easy. What I'm saying is I suppose it's easy for me to ignore the noise around constantly be sort of being sent things saying you're an Amazon bestseller, you're the you're number one in the hot new releases and that Twilight Bird is number two, you know, which cracks me up. I'm like, oh, the Twilight Bird is number two. I'm beating John Grisham for today. That's enough. That'll do. Uh, but mainly, you know, because ultimately the joy of it for me is that it might help people with their skin. Yeah. It's not about having a bestseller unless it means that you have a bestseller because people are reading it to help their face. And that, that's it. And and do you still get as much joy as you always had? Um, or what's been that journey in helping people? Has that been really what's um, underpinned the whole journey? Yeah, you know? totally. It's the best part of the job. It's the, you know, when people put pictures up in the Facebook group that say, this was my face six months ago. This is me now. I can't thank you enough. You and this group have saved my skin. I was, you know, my depression was worse because my skin was bad and then my yeah. depression would be bad. And then now my skin is amazing and I'm out and about and I can wear makeup for the joy of wearing makeup, not just to disguise my face. All that kind of stuff that happens frequently in the group as the group grows is is kind of makes every kind of negative comment you've ever got just worth it. Mm, and, you know, and that's kind yeah. of, that's why you do it. It's not for the 
doing telly, doing this morning, being recognised. I could give a shit, genuinely. I, yeah. I hate doing TV. The people are amazing. ITV are amazing. Holly and Phil are amazing. But I don't think, this is how bad I am as a workaholic. I don't think, and, and my team will tell you this, they'll say, okay, we've got your slot this morning. And I'll go, oh, what day is it? Because in my head, I'm already thinking about work. I'm going to have to move. <laughs> and tell me about, you are now, you know, I, I lots of people that um, I speak to and I'm, really encouraging them to embrace that passion, that that thing that they want to build. And some of them feel like it's too late. Now, you started your business basically in your 40s. Tell me about your experience of doing that. We've said it's more you're more confident. Is there any other things that you feel has been beneficial? And what advice would you give to those who are listening, who are putting things off because they basically feel like they've sort of done that bit of their life? You know, it's too late. Oh God, it's never too late. It's never too late. I mean, I started consulting for myself. I knew I couldn't do corporate when I was like 38, 39. And I started consulting for myself originally, I think 2008. And by pure chance, it was the American recession. So beauty brands who were over here, mainly in, Har- in Space NK and Harvey Nichols, place like that, couldn't afford to have a member of staff on the ground. And I put them all on retainer and I suddenly had a business. The best thing for me was being in a position where I could tell people what they needed to hear instead of what they wanted to hear. And in corporate, you have to tell people what they want to hear. You know, you you just mm. do. And if they say you don't, they're lying. And so I fell into it, but I, I've always known that I would be a successful businesswoman. I always had it in my head. I always knew I would be successful. And that to mm. me does not in any way mean, to me, the vision of success means the freedom of doing what I want to do for work. It has nothing to do with any kind of fame or notoriety or being seen on TV. It's nothing to do with that. It's the freedom of being able to get up at 10am with my husband and make tea and mosey around and go, should we have a bacon sandwich before I start work? It's that. It's the freedom of being able to run a business in the way that I want to, which means that I didn't furlough any of my team. They're all at home on full pay. That for me is the freedom. That is why I do what I do. And then the hardest part of it is the self-motivation. If I'm tired, especially when I was going through perimenopause and being menopausal, if I was tired, I was just tired. But there's only me mm-hmm. to do it. You know, I've, I've been the breadwinner for a long time. My husband's in the business with me, but he's very much the home person who's in the business. So he's kept the house going, you know, would do the school run, all that kind of thing. And so you have to, you just have to get off your ass and do it. But it's never too late. I mean, I'm already thinking of other things I can branch into. And the joy of it is once you start, you think, oh, I could do that. I could do that. I mean, the best advice I had was in the early days was my accountant said to me, take every client you can get in the early days. Unless there's like a real uh, ethical reason you don't want to work with them. But take the smallest one. You never know what's going to happen. Make sure you charge your worth. You may not feel like you can do that at the beginning. And my accountant was like a family friend who was male, but he was uh, Greek and his wife was Greek. And she very much ran the house, which cracks me up because I think that's why he was like, think what she would do. Do that, you know, which is quite nice because I think a bit of that comes across in my when I'm sort of even coaching people through uh, just in the Facebook group and coaching them on how to talk to retailers. It sounds really lame, but at a, at a you know a fundamental level, the best for me is when people go, and especially in the last week or so, since I've been very vocal about what's going on in the world, um, it's the people going, I never would have spoken up had you not said this. I never would have had the courage to speak up because I would have thought I'd said the wrong thing and it's better not to say anything than say the wrong thing. And actually the opposite is true. You know, with what's mm. going on at the moment with, with, you know, with black people and Black Lives Matter in the USA, the videos I've done, I mean, I've had like two or three comments from white women where they're just very unhappy that I'm not talking about skincare. 
Yes. And I'm like, well, I'm really that's sorry. all you should speak about. I'm really sorry, Barbara. You know, there's plenty of other people doing that. Why don't you fuck off and leave me to do what I need to do for a week or two so we can sort my team out? And, you know, but most of them are women going, this really spoke to me. I never thought of it that way. If I can be that kind of gobby tall vehicle, <laughs> yes, other women confidence to speak, then that is, that's perfection for me. And that's kind of the ultimate of, you know, it's kind of like goal reached, except obviously, I mean, I put it this way, I, I hate going on holiday because I love working. So yeah. When, yeah. people, when people are saying, you know, are you going to have a nice holiday after lockdown? I'm like, why? What, what, are, what are we finished? Are we done with work? No, I'm not going on holiday. No. But, but tell me something you mentioned earlier. You said that, and because this is very interesting, because I can imagine that you could have grown your business, become this incredibly powerful woman within your industry. And then um, a little bit like what we're talking about YouTube, turned, you know, so started not necessarily telling the truth. Um, and actually you were balancing this moment of in your career, which is incredibly important for everyone to understand that actually gaining from your career, earning more money, doing these things is nothing to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. But you have decided to keep that authenticity. It's, it's so ingrained in your brand, isn't it? Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier, sometimes this has not gone down very well. Can you just mm-hmm. expand on that? Because I think it will give people confidence that actually not towing the line can sometimes be incredibly powerful to your brand. But could yeah. you just expand on that? I think it's, again, I was a bit older. I worked in the industry. I knew who I respected. I knew who I had zero respect for because I'd either worked for them or, and those people still have never been on the blog, which cracks me up. You know, every time they get a new PR or a marketing person, they're like, oh, we'd love to introduce them. I'm like, yeah, I bet you would. Bye. <laughs> so now I know my power in that way. Like, I'm happy to harness my power in that. You ain't getting any airtime from me, bitch, in that way, you know. But I think I can't not be myself. And thankfully, or <laughs> to some people's detriment, maybe not, but I have uh, a mother who is always taught me to speak my own voice. I have a husband who's never tried to silence me. So uh, those two key people in my life have been very, you are what you are. They don't like it. Fuck them. My mother would never Mm. say that. My husband said it on a daily basis when I was working corporate. Uh, You know, so it's very, um, I can't not be me and I cannot Mm. be anything else. And then also now my personality is so known amongst my readers, for example, if I pretended to be something else, they would call me out on it in seconds. It would be obvious. And I actually feel... I, I kind of have a moment of, you know, like where you tilt the head almost like in a, oh, that's quite sad. When I see people who are either my age or a bit younger, who are tied into contracts, who have to toe the line, who can't speak out about Black Lives Matter because it might upset L'Oreal. You know, I see all this and I just think, oh, it could never be me. And so I've, you know, I made my own, I've made my own brand while still being very much not a brand. You know, it's mm-hmm. my, my sort of business partner and I that I work closely with, we very much had the vision of we are family first, you know, when our kids are sick, there's not even a phone call. It's just kids are sick, speak later, it's done. We all, the next person steps in, you know, there's no, it's very much a business run by a woman with who works alongside another woman. And we both act and think like men. And that's the difference. I, I cannot be outmanned in any room. I'll tell you to go fuck yourself. It's not a problem for me. I don't wear pearls, yeah. you know, and I don't take that away. That's just my vision of corporate is like you say, the sort of the nice skirt, the blouse, pearls. And if that is what gives you passion and you love that as much as I love what I do, all power to you, I will back you all the way. But if you have to sit in meetings with men and they ask you to make the tea, 
I would urge you to throat punch them and go and work for yourself. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> just put it better. Yeah. Get the fuck out of there. Do your own thing. You know, I mean, yeah. it's interesting to me that the countries that are doing best with COVID are run by women. That's not a surprise to a woman. No, it's That's not, not a surprise. It's not a surprise that Jacinda Ahern, Ahern and Angela Merkel have done brilliant things in keeping COVID. That's not a surprise to any woman. And again, I don't take away from my friends who don't have children. They work just as hard as I do. I just have all this extra baggage that, and again, I've never played on that. I talk about it in a, in the way of I've got, a, I've got, I'm a mum, I've got four kids. They drive me nuts. But I don't say, oh, I've done amazingly well because I've done all of this while I had children. Because I didn't do it on my own. I've got my husband. He's been at home the whole time. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I also don't lie and I don't fake anything. I just think if you're, if you know, if you're happy in your work, I mean, the, this, the sayings are true for a reason. You know, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. My husband goes mental if I'm on my phone at 10 o'clock and I'm answering people on Instagram and people say, I don't know how you find the time. And I'm like, I see you watching EastEnders on Twitter all like, every day. You choose to do that. I choose to talk to people on Instagram. I'm not judging you, but don't try and take away from my success by saying I'm lucky when actually all I've done is hustled and grafted and worked my ass off for 35 years. So my my biggest my biggest fear for the younger generation is the work ethic side of things. And I hate yeah. to sound like that 50-year-old woman who goes on and on about the importance of a work ethic. But I did an Instagram Live last week and I was talking about the beauty industry and the conversation very quickly got onto salaries, not by me, by me answering questions. But the amount of people who are saying, I want, I need, don't come at me with a problem, come at me with a solution. Now, obviously, the other side of me is the mother. So my intuition is, what's wrong to anyone? What's wrong? You okay? What's wrong? So it's it's like it's like being a steel bitch wrapped in cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> it is just so true. Everything. Oh my gosh! You're like yes. You're definitely one of my oh most favorite people. Most favorite. You're just saying so many things that um I could talk to you all day. You have so many things to be getting on with um, and it's been a pleasure. But at the end of these interviews, I always use the analogy of running your own business, uh, like being on an epic roller coaster. Mm. Um, what would you say has been one of your biggest lows whilst you've been on this journey? The realisation that you cannot rely on other women. Oh. Yeah, the realisation that uh, women can be just as, well, bitches, really. Um, and unethical. That was a realization for me that came quite late, thankfully, which means I'm very privileged, obviously, but I'm grateful for it because it made me a much better employer, worker, blogger, yeah. everything. And conversely, your greatest high? Um, I don't know because I'm always looking for the next best thing. So yeah. I, I mean, I suppose publishers want me to say the book, but it's not. I mean, it would be, <laughs> it would be what led to the book, which is the success of the blog. Uh, having my voice validated, I suppose, uh, being able to do what I've done and keep my marriage intact and keep my children out of jail and off drugs. That's a good bonus. So what Chris Rock always says about his mum, she's like, you're not in jail and you're not on drugs. I've done my job. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the high, I suppose, is, yeah, the daily kind of, you've helped me with my skin. Yeah. I can't tell you how much you've helped me with my skin. Gosh, and and someone that you think has inspired you that I might interview on this podcast? Oh God! But has there been anyone that you within your industry that might have been a beacon for you? Sadly, no. I think it's wow. kind of what I've positioned myself to be. But there's never been anyone where I've gone. 
wow, I would love to have what they have or in, in the way of I'd love to work how they work. I'd love to do what they do um, because it's always been, there's always been a counter side to a lot of them where yes. they can be quite bitchy. And I thought, how nice would it be to be able to do all of that and not be an utter bitch, except to the people who deserve you to be an utter bitch to them? Yeah. Well, sometimes it just isn't that person. And actually it's a combination. And sometimes for me, um, if I was having to answer that question, it's about the small businesses that I help every day. They're the yeah. people that inspire me. They're the people that keep me going. They're my fuel. That's uh, that's okay. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's the comments you get every day, you know? Mm. I, I really... Gosh, you're an incredible woman and I've enjoyed this so, so much. It's coming to the end of this podcast where I have that moment where I hand over to you to read a letter to your younger self. Um, I'll, I'll shut my gob now and hand over to your wonderful gob. Okay, so I called it stupid letter to myself because I also don't do a lot of introspective and, you know, looking back on things. I'm very much, that didn't work, let's move forward. But I put, dear 27-year-old Caroline... As you embark into this industry, being the beauty industry, take with you the things you learned from the hospitality industry. Work your ass off. You will never, ever stop working. That's probably the number one bit of advice for anyone running a business, isn't it? You're never going to stop working. Enjoy it. Be open to learning. Nothing bad ever came from saying, I don't know, but I will find out. Take absolutely no shit, especially from people you do not respect. Never take a no from someone who does not have the power to give you a yes. Fuck them. <laughs> There's a lot of that. Continue to stand up for people that do not have your privileges. You're confident, intelligent, funny, really, really tall, and can be really intimidating. You have no problem speaking your mind. And when you're older, you will realize that this is ADHD and you may want some medication for that. But we will just go with it. And this isn't about those attributes. I'm talking about the color of your skin. Recognize that when you go into shops where high-end products are sold with brands that you look after, you are not followed. You do not have your cash checked by the supervisor at a till. You are served first. You are called ma'am or Mrs. Recognize this and make sure that you take that really, really tall, intimidating demeanor and use it by standing alongside or, if the need be, right in front of your black co-workers, customers and friends. Do good work. Don't be a dick. You're brilliant. Don't be a <laughs> dick. It's the thing I'm going to be taking out of this interview is... Just generally, don't be a dick. And, and That's the number one rule of our Facebook group. Don't be a dick. Is, is it? It's, it's, it's something that's really, for me, finding my place as a 40-year-old woman going into work until I'm 90. That's how long I've dedicated uh, myself to this mission that I'm on. Um, the strength that you found to harness your character and to love your character um, is really, really inspiring to anyone who's listening. You know, we, we, it's, it's something to be applauded um, and to use your voice for the good for others. Um, yeah. And uh, you've, yeah, this interview will, yeah, you've changed my life in terms of understanding what possibly uh, we have inside of ourselves and um, we don't harness, we keep trying to toe the line. We and, keep trying uh, to toe the line. I can uh, tell you to finish, we, do you, do you see the story about the uh, MP who's an A&E doctor and she's a, a person, a woman of colour and she left her full-time job as an MP to go back to the front lines for COVID as an A&E doctor. She stood up in court. Uh, sorry, just, I, I would put her at him in court, but she stood up in the Houses of Parliament and was talking to Matt Hancock, Secretary of State for Health, and she said, um, uh, the right honourable gentleman, and she basically was trying to say, there is not enough PPE. 
my, my peers are dying. We are not protecting doctors. We need more nurses. And he told her to mind her tone. So she tweeted the next day, I am about to raise my tone. And I'm about to raise my tone. And I, my and my business partner and I got in touch with her. We're going to do a, a mug in a collaboration with another, another really fun charity. Uh, and the charity is Young Minds for people with mental health problems between yes, 12 and 25. Yeah. yeah. And the mug is going to say, I'm about to raise my tone. And I wow. think if, if anything you take from this is raise your fucking tone, raise your tone. Don't let anyone shut you up. Don't let anyone shut you up. And especially, especially I said this once in front of a, things like 1500 body shop girls. And it was when they were owned by L'Oreal, which they're not now. And then you know, I was talking and I said, never take a no from someone who doesn't have the power to give you a yes, especially if it's a middle-aged white man talking to you. Oh, I've loved every second of it. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. Bless you, bless you. Um, it's been a privilege. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode with Caroline Hirons, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with the founder of Cult Beauty, Alexia Ng. You can find any of my past episodes by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if we've helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.